Well, welcome. What does it mean to be uh, loyal uh, to Jesus? Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, you may have uh, followed in the news that uh, 21 uh, Christians had their heads chopped off. Uh, and uh, you think, well, how do people stay loyal uh, to Jesus? Uh, this was uh, the Coptic uh, Christians out of Egypt. Uh, they went looking for work in next-door Libya in the oil fields. And uh, while they were in the oil fields, they got rounded up by ISIS. And uh, they just, you know, were videotaped. And uh, on the videotape, they were beheaded. And uh, as they were, rec as recorded on the, the videotaping of their beheading, they were all just uh, mentioning the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Je as they were being killed. And you think, well, you know, would we be able to do that? Would I be able to do that? Uh, all they had to do is just say, look, uh, we're going to follow uh, Muhammad and we'll convert to uh, being a Muslim, even if it's just for a day, uh, you know, and then they wouldn't have been executed. Uh, just, but they chose, chose not to. Uh, I mean... Think of it, it's just like, would you have that same loyalty? Are you just like casually looking for work? You just go across, you know, the border from Egypt into Libya and, and you get rounded up. Uh, tremendous uh, sadness, uh, which then sort of forces the question, well, how do uh, people have this devotion to Christ, uh, to be loyal to Christ? I mean, who are these people? Uh, the Coptics. They're not uh, evangelical Christians. They're not Roman Catholics. They're Coptics. But, well, who are the Copts? Uh, how do they have this uh, incredible faith in Jesus? Well, they've got a really uh, interesting, uh, interesting history. Uh, the church was started right after the death of Christ, uh, as legend has it, would be John Mark, the, the person that wrote the Gospel of Mark. So in A.D. like 42, uh, he was following uh, Christ's command of one of the, being one of the 72 being sent out. And uh, he went to Alexandria in Egypt and uh, started talking to the Egyptians about Jesus. And in fact, uh, you know, in A.D. from 400 to 800 A.D., uh, most of Egypt was, uh, was Christian. And then with the uh, Muslim conquest in AD 800, uh, it switched over to being a Muslim. And the language switched over from being Coptic to being uh, what would be now, you know, um, the language of the Middle East, so uh, Arabic. So uh, they had an interesting start. And there's a bunch of Christian fathers. You'd recognize some of these names, uh, Clement or Didymus, or Oregon, or Athanasius. These would all be uh, Copts or Coptic. And you say, well, what does the name Coptic mean? Well, it's sort of now become synonymous with uh, Egyptian. So you could say Egyptian Christians. Uh, it's hard to know how many e Copts there are or how many Egyptian uh, Christians there are uh, because like... Uh, 
many different religions. They get spread around. But the biggest uh, concentration is still in Egypt. And the second biggest is in the Sudan. And interestingly, interestingly enough, the third biggest uh, group of them are here in the States. And uh, so they uh, are probably between 10 and 50 million in, in number. It's a fairly sizable uh, group of people. Uh, they also have their own pope. Uh, the current pope, he just got elected, I think, two years ago, if I can pronounce his name correctly, Toradorus. Toradorus. Uh, and uh, the way the pope gets elected is also an interesting um, process. You, they nominate uh, three candidates, and then they put the name in a bowl, and they get a, a, a young boy, and they blindfold him, and he puts his hand in and pulls out one. And that's the Pope. And in that way, they're saying, you know what? It's partially the hand of uh, man, and it's partially the hand of God. Only God can control sort of by lots who's going to be the person. You know, really interesting uh, process. Uh, as uh, much of Christianity, there's... Uh, were councils in the early days, uh, especially trying to figure out uh, in the creeds uh, who exactly is Christ? How do we figure out uh, what does it mean to be fully human and also fully divine and uh, totally part of God the Father? And, uh, you know, so they had all these uh, discussions and papers and, and meetings to try and. Uh, understand the trinity of God. And uh, after the, the Council of uh, Chalcedon, the cops broke away. Uh, firstly, they said, look, you know, I don't want to be part of Roman Catholic. They disputed the idea that Rome was going to be the center of Christianity and have influence over them. They said, no, we're not up for that. Uh, and there was a difference of opinion about uh, the nature of Christ and, uh, you know, church politics and procedures sometimes take a while to sort themselves out. Uh, and in this particular case, uh, they managed to sort it out in 1973. <laughs> the Coptic Pope and the Pope uh, of the Roman Catholic Church got together and said, we agree on the same idea of exactly who Jesus is. It took a while, but they got there. Uh, but... You know, another interesting thing is how do you uh, deal with being loyal to Jesus uh, today in, in Egypt when the country is clearly Muslim? Uh, and uh, what's even more discriminatory is uh, you have to, on your driver's license, have your religion. So you have, okay, there, I'm, I'm, I'm Coptic Christian. So, you, you know, you show up to something and say, okay, can I see your driver's license? Oh, okay, yeah, no, you can't join this club or you can't buy land here or, you know, I'm sorry, it's not available to you. Uh, in fact, it was, it, it's been so restrictive that uh, under President Mubarak, uh, another had president changes recently, but if your church needed repairs, uh, you, you couldn't just go to the council or the town hall. You had to get a special edict from the president. In other words, they didn't really want you to repair your church. You know, just like make it really difficult. Uh, could you get a permit to build a church? Well, in theory, but in practice, oh, forget it. It's just not going to happen. So uh, recently, um, you know, just to see the resolve of how people stay faithful to, to Christ. Uh, uh, recently, 
a whole bunch of these uh, Christians, which now are battling to get jobs, as you can imagine, uh, you know, it would be sort of similar to being in the States and not having a work permit or you're legal, but you don't have access to, uh, you know, the whatever, the powers that be. Uh, so a lot of them ended up being garbage collectors. And uh, then, okay, now you, you know, the riffraff of society and you don't want to be seen in the middle of Cairo. So uh, the country forcibly relocates a whole bunch of them to like where the garbage dump is. And so in like, I don't know, 1975, 1980 or something, like thousands of them got forcibly relocated to the garbage dump. Well, uh, when they're exploring the area around them, uh, they came across some pretty interesting looking caves and they cleared out all the garbage uh, from the caves and made it a church. I've got a couple of photographs here. You can uh, see this. This is, the, uh, this is their church. Now in the caves, uh, uh, next photo, they see a whole pretty cool looking place, right? And uh, then they found, okay, more caves and they excavated more of them. And uh, there's actually now a series of them. Now look at that for size. So several thousand uh, people uh, in this cave, uh, just worshiping Christ, uh, you know, in the garbage dump, so to speak. Uh, there's just something uh, that these folks have done to just, uh, no matter what the difficulties or the adversity in their life, there's this, I want to be faithful to Christ. I want to be loyal. I want to seek Him and pursue Him and have a meaningful life. Uh, and uh, I actually have a little video clip here of, these guys actually worshiping Christ. This was a somewhat actually a recent experience. So you can just bear with us as we uh, figure this out. Dan, maybe you can hit these lights up front.
anyway, isn't that awesome? I mean, it's really... I've got good news for Brian. We can simplify our lyrics. We can... <laughs> I don't know what that means in Arabic that they were saying, but it... there you go. You got it, you see? Simply, we can get it. Isn't that amazing? You know, here you have persecuted Christians with nothing. I mean, everything against them. And yet you look at it and you say, well, these people seem to have a lot of joy and a lot of peace and a lot of freedom and an excitement. And, you know, it helps us to reflect on our own lives and say, wow, you know, we've got a whole lot more going for us, uh, a, a lot more opportunity. Uh, and yes, we pick up some resistance, and not everybody agrees with the way we want to do church, and not everybody agrees with you know Jesus and and our in you know love for the Lord or our desire to want to live a life that's pleasing to Him. But when you contrast it to you know people like this, it's like wow, it's in, it's inspiring. So uh, I want to uh, talk today about this idea of how do we stay loyal to Jesus. But, uh, you know, I want to say that part of my job, if there's something I want you to get out of the sermon, uh, how do we live a lifestyle? How do we uh, do this? How do we stay loyal to Jesus? You know, part of my job is to encourage you uh, to be loyal to Jesus, no matter what the odds, uh, uh, and to choose a lifestyle that's uh, pleasing to Jesus. Uh, but, you know, there's a, a constant tension, there's a constant battle that we have uh, when we choose Christ. Uh, on the one hand, we say, God, I, I, I want to receive your peace. I, I want to receive your joy. Uh, I, I want your blessings in my life. I want you to guide me and, and direct me. Uh, but on the other hand, there's part of us which says, you know, Christ, but I don't want you to intrude in certain aspects of my life. Like, I want to worship you on Sunday, but, you know, Monday, that's all about my life and business and school, and, and you know, you're not really that relevant. Or, you know, when it comes to my money, uh, you know, Christ, I don't really don't want you to get involved there too much. It's mine, and I want to do with it what I want. I don't like to be told what to do with my money. Or if it becomes, uh, you know, your eating desires, you say, you know, I want to eat and live the way I want to live. Uh, I don't really want you to tell me what I should eat or, or, you know, what my diet should look like. Or if it comes to our sex life, we say that's totally private. Christ, I, I don't want you to have any uh, say or influence in how I live sexually. Uh, and yet when we receive Christ, uh, you can't push him out of those areas. Uh, to be loyal to Christ is to be loyal in all those areas. Uh, Christ is saying, I'm interested in your money. I'm interested in your sex life. I'm interested. You can't push me out. It, once you've invited me in, uh, and you'll find your conscience just like, uh, you know, is, is when you violate God's ways, uh, you're just not at peace. There's something that's uncomfortable in, in your life. So uh, let me just ask... Uh, the Lord to be with us in power in specific ways. Lord, I just invite your presence. Help me to preach with, uh, with power, Lord, uh, but uh, also with love. Uh, just be with us. Speak to each one of us. In your name, Jesus. 
Amen. So uh, we're working our way through the book of James. And uh, I'm going to start off here with James chapter 4. And it's very uncomfortable language. Uh, this is not, you know, the way you'd say, okay, let me pick up a scripture. I really want to feel good about myself. Uh, you kind of have to get there. You have to bear with me a little bit. It starts, it says this. You adulterers. How's that for nice uh, language? Uh, that's talking to you guys. <laughs> that's talking to me. <laughs> you know, here's James speaking to his church. He says, you adulterers. And you say, well, did I commit adultery or what did I do? And then he says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Oh, wait a bit. The adultery is friendship with the world. Well, what exactly is that? Well, let me just read. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you're making yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit of the Spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy. He gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the Scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. Wow. There's James not like beating around the bush. He's just challenging all of us and saying, Okay, what is our lifestyle like? Are, are we more excited about the world, the things around us, uh, or are we more excited about Christ? Is there incompatibility with one and the other? Is there a sense that uh, we're both excited about the joy and the peace of God, the eternal life that God promises us, uh, or is it, you know, I'm more interested in my boyfriend? I'm more interested in my iPad or getting an iPad or, you know, a fancy car or a, a bigger house or I'm looking for power. Uh, I, I need prestige in, in what I'm doing and I'm going to do anything I can to get that. Uh, uh, where are we at? What motivates us? Uh, you know, when you think of, okay, what I want out of life, where am I, uh, where am I at this week? What's... What's the joy? What am I looking forward to? Uh, what are the things that I desire or I, I'd like to try and achieve? Uh, and then we ask ourselves, are they godly? Are they what God wants? Or do we just say, no, God stuff, that's Sunday. And then what I want is what I want. You know, uh, you can be like totally fixated on getting the right pair of jeans. I mean, just that just becomes all that you're interested in. Uh, or if you, as you well know, if you're struggling with a diet, uh, then all of a sudden you become fixated on like hamburgers and fries. I mean, they just look so good. You know, you're battling to diet. Or it's like, geez, pizza. I can't think of anything else but you know, triple cheese pizza with maybe a little pepperoni. I'm just battling with my weight, but I, you know, just, just you know, there's this crazy nature that we have that even though we know it's not good, uh, we desire it or we fixate on it. And uh, yet, clearly there's nothing wrong with you know, having pizza. There's nothing wrong with having a really nice car. There's nothing wrong with having a boat and a second home if you can afford it. But if you can't afford it, 
and you're just desiring it, and you're buying these things, and you, you know, you're doing it on credit, and, uh, and you just want it because of the prestige or whatever, there's a problem there. Uh, I mean, you know, we don't have to worry about being too wealthy. You know, King David and Solomon, they were like really wealthy. We'll never be as wealthy as they are. Uh, you don't have to have any worry about that. So Christ is not disinterested in people doing well, uh, but it's all about your motive. It's like, what's driving you? What's, what's pushing you to, to get there? If you can afford it, great. But if you can't, don't pretend. Don't, don't buy things on credit you can't afford. Don't you know, be somebody that you shouldn't be. Don't desire power just for the sake of power. I mean, desire it for, for Christ. You say, I want to be loyal to you, Jesus. If I happen to be wealthy, you know what I realize is an extra burden. It, it means that there's more that's been entrusted to me, which means I need to support and help uh, a lot of other people. It's not mine, it's yours. Uh, and there's a mindset that we say, okay, this is why uh, I'm motivated. It's to be loyal to Christ and to be faithful to Christ. Second uh, Corinthians 11.2 says this. It's Paul really just talking to uh, people and he's saying to his church, uh, and Paul says, For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. Uh, you know, so Paul is just using the marriage imagery and saying uh, as a church or as individuals, Paul speaking to his church and saying, look, I want you to be spotless, to be like a pure bride. Uh, we are the bride of Christ as a church. And, and uh, in God's eyes, he thankfully forgives us. So we are, in a sense, are spotless. But uh, there's part of it where we're saying we need to be uh, driven or delighted in the things that drive Christ or delight Christ. We should have a similar uh, attitude uh, to what Christ had and to what Paul had and to what James had, where he's saying, look, can we live a lifestyle that's just uh, pleasing to the Lord? Now, if you read the, as I read the rest of this section in James, it says this, So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Uh, you know, sometimes these scriptures are, are really um, hard to read. Uh, or they're hard to, to just, like, digest. Uh, uh, and yet there's a tremendous freedom, uh, there's a tremendous uh, joy when we can get what, uh, what's being said to us here. Now, you know, when we talk about understanding the work of the devil and how that impacts our lives personally, I mean, for, for non-Christians, for non-believers, this just seems like uh, total, like, myth or foolishness or what are you even talking about? I mean, when you're battling to believe in God, uh, believing in some sort of evil uh, is just 
just a step beyond you know reasonableness but uh, for those of us that believe it's extremely helpful to understand okay i understand why i think the way i think and why i'm battling the way i'm battling and uh, when we look at scripture uh, certain scriptures have way more influence uh, than other scriptures uh, so for instance the new testament is way more helpful than the old testament uh, even though all scripture is scripture uh, but the New Testament tells us so much more about who God is and how we can get to know him because of Jesus. And so there's some part of us that we really need to know the New Testament in one sense way more than the Old Testament. Because even in reading the Old Testament, you need to know the New Testament first. But there's another part of Scripture that we really need to know pretty well that has a disproportionate influence in the rest of the Bible uh, compared to the relative briefness of what's covered and that's genesis chapters one through three genesis chapters one through three have a disproportionate influence in the whole of scripture and for any christian uh, you know if you say look i'm I, i'm a believer in christ i'm a christian uh, you would need to be somewhat familiar with the gospels and who jesus is but if you're going to have a, an understanding of the of the whole mindset of biblical thinking uh, you need to know the whole Bible, but particularly Genesis, the, the, particularly the first three chapters in Genesis. Uh, because there's things that are explained there that influence our lives today. And I, I, I want to read this regarding uh, the evil one, demonic. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, it says this, the, God, the Lord God placed a man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Okay, now just a little rabbit trail here. Um, God placed Adam in the garden, and his job was to tend it and look over it, not pollute it, not to destroy it, uh, to tend it. So, you know, there's an environmental thought there. But uh, that's not the main gist. We get off that rabbit trail. Uh, but the Lord warned him. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. Okay, so pretty straightforward, not complicated, uh, you know, living in paradise, help yourself, eat every fruit that you want, everything looks great, uh, this is a great uh, garden, a great life. Uh, there's one small tree in it. Don't eat from that one. But, you know, nobody's looking at that. There's plenty more to, to look at until you get to Genesis chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked a woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Okay, now this is extremely helpful for our understanding because the enemy comes to us like a lawyer. I mean, really? Uh, he's putting like doubt in your mind. Uh, did, it, did it really say that? I mean, it, it's pretty clear. I mean, it's like not ambiguous. You know, Adam and Eve knew it, but here you have the enemy. Really? Did he really say you must not eat? And then of 
you know, Eve answers pretty easily, emphatically. Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the middle, the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Well, the next thing the enemy does is to just totally reverse what God has said. I mean, if you can't put doubt in your mind, it just says the exact opposite. Something that's good, he says is bad. Something that we know is bad, he says is good. He says, you won't die. The servant replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that very moment, the eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Now, the reason this has such a disproportionate influence in our understanding is because this is the, the switchover from perfection into a sinful nature. And we still have that sinful nature in us today. And we still have this battle with the enemy uh, today. There's still a battle between what God is saying and what the enemy is saying. And we look forward to a future when we will enjoy paradise again, restored. When Christ returns, he's saying he's going to restore us like Adam and Eve. It's going to be perfect again. And so we live in this in-between time when the enemy is still active, and we're not living in paradise, but there's plenty of good and there's plenty of evil. And there's a sense of a, a, a war, so to speak, or a battle uh, that goes on within us. I mean, it's just like dealing with a diet. I mean, all I can think of this morning is a Redis flan. I mean, that's why I went and had a whole bunch of extra tickets and put them in there. And I'm trying to lose weight. But on the other hand, I really love flan. So like, what happens? You just like think flan, flan. I just need flan. That'll be great. Flan's good. Only a small piece. You know, it won't really. You just become fixated on the very thing that you're not supposed to be thinking about. I mean, it's just the way it is. Uh, we battle, but look what it says in Galatians 5.17. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. I mean, you're dating somebody, you really like them, and you think, well, this is just a great person, and then you have all the temptations. Okay, do we get sexually involved? You know, what's the limit? And you, you, just, you just have these struggles. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a great relationship. There's nothing wrong with having friendship. Nobody wants to be alone and be... But good things have limits, and we battle with these barriers, and then we start questioning them and, and pushing them and defining them. It's like, okay, so where is exactly the line? And uh, we, we battle. We have this turmoil within us. On the one hand, we want to do good. We want to please God. On the other hand, 
we just like don't. I mean, we just, you know, flan always looks good until the calories hit us. You know, sex always looks good outside of marriage until the consequences hit it. I mean, there's always, you know, it's tempting because it looks good for a moment, but the consequences are not good. Uh, and that's the, pat- the pattern that we have to deal with and live with uh, until Christ returns. Romans 8.6, so letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your minds leads to life and peace. I mean, we ask the Spirit of God into our hearts. Uh, The Spirit of God, when we give our lives to Christ and we say, Christ, I believe who you are. I want to become your servant. I want to become your disciple. I want to become your follower. We, we do that by believing what Christ has done, that he died on the cross for us, uh, and that we can receive him. And uh, what Christ says is he gives us his Holy Spirit to live within us. Uh, I mean, there's this Holy Spirit, this holiness, which is in us. But we aren't that holy. So there's this conflict. And the Spirit of God transforms us. It changes us from within. He, the Spirit of God starts removing the uh, desires and the appetites for things that aren't godly or aren't holy. And uh, we need to cooperate with that spirit. Uh, we need to say yes to godly things and, and no to, to sinful things. And as we do that, we as people become uh, holy. And, and our lives become more, uh, well, holy. I mean, we start living a more righteous life. Uh, the joy and the peace and the, the closeness to God it, it, you know, increases. And the things which are destructive and, and hurt us uh, start decreasing as we can start saying no uh, to the evil one. But to think that there is no evil influence in your life is just to be uh, like uh, bombarded. Uh, you know, it's like saying, hey, I can use uh, my credit card any old place and there's no ways that uh, nobody will steal my number. I mean, it's like if you believe that, then you're naive. You don't leave your credit card lying around and, you know, because there's consequences. We, we, we know that the evil one has plans for our lives. But uh, if you have a bulletin and you want to follow along on the insert, I, I want to show you what James is saying, how we can uh, help with this dilemma that we have, trying to be holy, trying to live uh, a life loyal to Jesus, but dealing with the influences we have. Uh, The first thing that James says, all in the same uh, few verses, he says, let me just read it to you, then I'll highlight it again. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Uh, So in those two verses, we see we should humble ourselves before God. Humble ourselves before God. And then resist the devil. Resist. And come close to God. And he will come close to you. There's part of it, you know, is our responsibility. We need to draw close to God. We need to humble ourselves. We need to resist. There's something that we have to do in this. Now, in the Coptic tradition, their idea of confessing sin uh, is not a whole un- lot unlike uh, the, the Catholic tradition. Uh, so there, uh, the understanding is, look, if you want to draw close to God, 
uh, you need to confess your sin. And unless you confess your sin to the priest audibly, you are not forgiven. You can't just like say to a buddy or just say you and God directly. You have to audibly get in front of the priest and confess your sin so that you can be forgiven. And if you find that sort of embarrassing and uh, you know, a little demeaning, then the priest would say, well, good. That's part of the penalty of sin. You should feel embarrassed and demeaned. You know, it's just like humiliating. Well, good, be humiliated. <laughs> you know, uh, now, okay, we, we're not Coptics. We're not Roman Catholic. Uh, we, we're Protestant. So, you know, we, let me go ahead a chapter here with uh, James. James uh, 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray uh, for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. You know, so one of the ways we can err, we can err on two sides of things. We can become uh, too ecclesiastical on the one hand and, and very formal in our approach uh, and say, okay, the only way to get rid of sin is, you know, confessing daily to a priest. Or you can go to the other end of the, what I'd say is the extreme, where you say, oh, yeah, well, you know, okay, sort of like kind of ex- confess our sin, maybe just me and God. I don't really want to process and think about negative things. So, you know, just don't do it. You know, my encouragement to you is this. Uh, we need to find somebody that we feel safe with and confess our sins. I mean, that's one of the benefits of being in a life group. Uh, there should be a life group leader, and it doesn't have to be the life group leader, but somebody that you feel comfortable with and say, you know what, I, I really messed up this week. I did this and this. I just want to confess it, and I want to get it done. Great. It doesn't have to be a big, you know, a big deal, but there's some freedom that we enjoy when we confess our sins. And if you need to speak to me, I'm, I'm free. I, I'll gladly, well, I don't enjoy listening to you confessing your sins, but it's part of my role. And, you know, I've heard people that have done all sorts of uh, ridiculous atrocities and things. I mean, we are just, you know, a fallen bunch. But the idea is, can we get through this? Uh, This is a stepping stone for a life of joy and peace and and fullness. Can we get over ourselves? Can we get uh, past our sin? And how do we do that? Uh, Look what it says in... uh, in the Psalms, here's David. Uh, he's messed up badly. And uh, he's now experienced the blessing of God beforehand. Uh, he's now sinned really badly. And in doing so, he's experienced a uh, distancing from God. And he's noticing that his life is not going real well. And he is not enjoying uh, peace. And he's not sleeping well at night. And uh, as you'll see in the Psalms, his body is not functioning too well uh, until he can get to the point of confessing his sin and getting right again with God. And when he does so, he re-experiences the joy that he had when he was younger. And uh, that's where we pick it up here in Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those 
whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are, com- are lived in complete honesty. You see, that's part of confessing. There's an honesty. There's a clearing. There's a um, relief. When I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. I mean, David's saying there were physical consequences to my body. I I ran out of energy. My body was sickly. I I I felt like you were constantly like on my case guard. Uh, You know, I I just couldn't get away from you. It was awful. I felt awful. My life was miserable. And then finally, I was able to fess up and confess my sins. And then look at the benefit of this. In verse 8, it says, The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway of your life. I mean, this is after he's messed up and after we confess our sins. God says, I will guide you and I'll give you the best life possible. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Uh, God is just desirous to give us a great life, to bless us. But uh, this great life is a life where we follow him and we follow his ways and, and his decrees and, and we, you know, everything we have, our, our children, our relationships, our, our things, we just say, God, they're yours. They're not mine. I don't own them. I'm, I'm a steward of them. And, and God direct me and bless me and, and help me to live this life out the way you want me to. And, and God just loves that. He says, yes, I will. And again and again, if we can uh, release our control of things, of life, uh, God breathes it into us and gives us life. He gives us control. Uh, Jesus is just amazing. I mean, he understood that he needed to die on the cross so that we could experience this joy. Uh, We are very quick to say, yes, I want the blessing, I want the blessing, but we're not so quick to sort of think about the consequences of what we've done, of our sin. We're not really quick to understand the depth of what Christ has done for us, that he has paid the price for our sin. And he's saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to help you and to encourage you and to nurture you. Don't live in misery. Get out of it. Step forward. Lean on me. Trust in me. Like Jesus is saying, I want to bless you. Uh, but will we? Uh, what is motiv- motivating you? What is your thoughts? What gives you delight? Let's just uh, take a moment and and give it to the Lord. Lord, we just ask, we'll have a worship team coming up while I'm praying. Lord, we just ask that you speak to us. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you really just test our motives, uh, test our desires, test the things that we just, you know, living for and longing for. And Lord, we just ask you to just test us, just If they're not good, uh, Lord, help us to confess and to move on. Uh, If they are good, Lord, we just ask for your blessing and for uh, that you'd breathe on it and you'd guide us and you'd heal us and you'd restore us. 
But Lord, we just uh, ask you to search our souls, search our thoughts, search our desires with your spotlight. Lord, so that we can move on. We just thank you, Lord, that you are a loving God. We thank you, Jesus, that you died on a cross to give us life. And Lord, we understand that you're asking us to put you first. And not as a, an optional add-on. And so, Lord, help us to do just that. What does it mean to put you first in our lives? How are we not doing that? And, Lord, I just thank you for every person here today. But physically being here, there's a sense of saying, I, I want to know you better and understand your ways more and to walk in your blessings. And so, Lord, I pray for each person here that they would receive your blessing and receive your joy. And, Lord, as you say, that we can draw close to you. And by being here today, uh, making an intention to draw close to you. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd reveal yourself to your people. In your name, Jesus. Amen. We have uh, Kevin come and uh, close us out with some thoughts at that in prayer this morning. And if this is... Uh, responds to you in some way, I encourage you to just come up and receive prayer. Okay, so hopefully this is a message of hope to some of us. Um, there was this uh, phrase this morning that um, th this uh, coming season was going to be a season of productivity. And um, I think, you know, ma many of us uh, feel kind of weary or burnt out from, from this winter and all the snow and that uh, it, it's going to melt. It's, it's going to bring lots of water. And, um, you know, in Psalm 65, it talks about the, the water of God bringing blessing, you know, making the, the soil fertile and making our gardens and farms, um, you know, um, full of produce. Um, so may, maybe this is what Rob is talking about, coming to God and, um, you know, saturating in his presence and that, uh, you know, he, he's, he's going to make, um, uh, make blessing out of, out, out of these things. And then um, secondly, there was this, this word, uh, pliability, uh, that kept coming up in prayer this morning. Um, and I think the sense was that um, we can um, come to God and allow him to uh, bend us. Maybe in whatever ways we struggle with uh, being loyal to him, uh, we can humble ourselves. We can come to him and allow him to uh, bend us. Um, so... Uh, it, I, I just encourage you to respond to the Lord if, if that's you. And um, if you'd like prayer for anything, we, we'd love to spend time praying with you.